Happy Monday, kitty cats. And if you are listening to this program today, then I know that you are a person who cares about their liberty. It's also a pretty good chance that you're pretty tired of waiting around for political change, tired of being duped by political parties and politicians filling you with hope and then never coming through. Well, guess what? If you're ready to take matters into your own hands, then I want to tell you about an amazing community called the Nomad Network. This is the number one community for liberty-minded people just like you who want to create freedom in their lifetime by focusing on entrepreneurship, investment, and income mobility. I have personally been involved with this group for some time now. I hopped on because I got into a stage in my life where I realized that I was ready to take things to the next level. I was sick of just talking about my liberty, and I wanted to take action to actually achieve that liberty. And the Nomad Network has been an incredible hub for doing just that. You got people in there posting their W's, uh, talking about their businesses, helping each other out, hiring each other for jobs. It truly is an amazing network. It is a little bit of that building the arc that we talk about so much, building that next pathway, building that community so that we can thrive while the rest of the world just burns around us or does whatever it's going to do. Whether you already have an existing business idea or you just want to network with like-minded people, the No Band Network is the place for you and you can join for free right now by heading over to www.nomadnetwork.app slash lions. Use that link get a free account on us. Again, you got to use the www there. It's just a little technical thing, but you got to hit www.nomadnetwork.app slash lions. We'll see you in there. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tool, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real Application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. And live free. All right, kitty cats, I am here today with a very special episode, uh, a very unique episode, and you'll find out why in just a moment, but uh, I've got two guests with me today, and uh, what what the live viewers might be thinking, what you might be seeing by video is, uh-oh, I see Mark with a couple guys here. It's got to be a debate of some kind, and I know I told you a couple weeks ago I had Jason Stapleton and Dave Smith on, and I said it wasn't a debate, it was just a conversation, and okay, I, I was kind of messing with you a little bit. It, it turned into a debate, and let's be honest, I kind of knew that was going to happen. But this is—I'm—I'm I'm being serious now. This one is really, really not a debate. Uh, I'm just going to bring my guests in first. Uh, the first guest here—he has—he literally needs no introduction because somehow this guy has has worked his way onto this podcast like four times in the last year, uh, always working his way in with various debates. And I don't know how he does it, but he, he's definitely become a Lions of Liberty regular. Uh, pleased to welcome former Maine State Senator and current. Senior spokesman? Is that the title? Yeah. yeah close Senior enough. spokesman. Senior spokesman at Young Americans for Liberty. I'm not sure if you count as a young American yet anymore. We, we don't need to get into that, though. Uh, Eric Brakey, welcome back to Lions Liberty. Are you ready to roar? Roar, roar. Ready to go. All right. And joining me for the very first time, he is the... Oh, I had it in front of me. Assistant editor at Libertarian Institute? Uh, opinion or, editor at Antiwar.com. News <laughs> editor at Libertarian Institute. All right. Well, he's editing a lot of awesome stuff, and he's also the co-host of the podcast Conflicts of Interest. I'm very pleased to welcome, for the first time, Kyle Anzalone. Kyle, are you ready to roar? Absolutely, Mark. All right. Well, 
I'm going to lay out the premise here because this this really is a, a unique situation that has never bo- before, maybe in the history of this podcast, but maybe in the history of Twitter, in the history of the internet. Um, what started out as uh, a bit of a Twitter, I don't know, I wouldn't say quite heated, but it was a little, you know, you guys are, you were um, uh, excited about your opinions, excited about your opinions. Yeah, Let's put it's it that Twitter. Way. <laughs> yeah, in in Twitter in the in the Twitterverse started out as a little argument, and then I, as people know, when I see an argument on Twitter between a couple libertarians, you know, I start to wet my chops, and uh, so I started talking to both you guys about the possibility of setting up a debate to to discuss the actual argument you're having, and then this weird thing happened that uh, a few days went by. I circled back, and you guys said you actually spoke offline about this. And came to agreement before we could even have a debate. You blew up the whole show. Uh, so I don't know how this all went down. I want to find out how that went down, first of all. And then we'll talk about the actual subject itself in a little more detail. But um, Eric, I think you should probably start here. Because I think this started with a post you made uh, in regards to the, it was, I believe, the attack on the airport in Afghanistan and how the U.S. government should respond to that. So why don't you just start off by explaining what you tweeted out originally? We can you know go to Kyle. He can explain what he kind of tweeted back at you, and then we'll we'll get into the story of how this all played out. But I'm fascinated. Well, let, let me let me say it on uh, you know in more clear terms. Uh, we came to agreement because I realized that Kyle was right, and uh, and I, he, he once uh, once we got past like the Twitter machismo, and we kind of <laughs> got to talk to each other as people making sound rational arguments. I realized that he made some very good points. And really was hitting on some blind spots that I, I perhaps hadn't seen. But all right, backing up a little bit more context. What exactly is um, uh, you know what exactly happened there? Um, so look, you know we're getting out of Afghanistan. I think all of us on at least uh, on this podcast and most of your audience probably agrees we need to get out of Afghanistan. We should. The, the war has been an absolute disaster. It was fought on on false pretenses. I mean, we went over there uh, initially under the context of we were attacked on 9-11. We had to bring bin Laden and al-Qaeda to justice. And then the Bush administration did a pivot, and suddenly we're fighting the Taliban and nation-building. Fast forward 20 years later, we're still there. Trillions of dollars of, of American taxpayer money has been wasted. Lives have been thrown away both on the American side and on the side of you know many innocent civilians in the region. And as we're trying to get out, you get this attack, uh, you know, uh, at the airport by ISIS K, which is, you know, sounds so made up, but whatever. Well, yeah, it's loose, <laughs> it's loosely affiliated with ISIS. They they aren't actually. As I, I think these ISISs are like the uh, the COVID variants now. They're just going to keep making up making up new variants every every couple months whenever uh, you know yeah. whenever the narrative needs it. As I understand it, they aren't actually really directly affiliated with actual ISIS. They're just kind of local kind of extremists who uh, want, believe in international jihad who adopted the name of ISIS to try to attach themselves to the. Anyway, there's a whole story there. That's besides the point. It's a branding but, thing, you know. But yep. but, they, but they attacked us on our on our way out the door as we're leaving. And my initial fear was, well, first twofold. One, I think a, 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 an actual attack on. America uh, on Americans, not as we're like patrolling, you know, the country and in their towns, but like as we're actually leaving, um, you know, and we're in retreat, you know, th- that is something that deserves some kind of response. There needs to be some kind of justice there, like 
the, the kind of justice that bin Laden and al-Qaeda deserved, which the Bush administration, you know, abused, you know, as a pretext for other things. Um, so so there, there, there needs to be some justice there. Um, and my fear was that uh, this could be used by the neoconservatives and the neoliberals who want us to stay in Afghanistan in perpetuity to say, aha, now we've been attacked. Now we got to send the forces back in there. We got to be there for another 20 years. And so I was looking, okay, how, and I thought, what would Ron Paul do? I always think that's a very, you know, good question to reflect on in, in matters of, well, most issues, but foreign policy, especially what would Ron Paul do? And I remembered after the 2000 uh, and, uh, and one attacks on September 11th, Ron Paul proposed an alternative to invading Afghanistan and nation building wars and the 2001 AUMF. He proposed that we do, you know, limited letters of mark and reprisal as an alternative to the AUMF, just targeting the specific individuals who attacked us and not getting involved in this whole nation building affair. And I thought, well, that sounds like that would be the 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 right remedy, the right approach in this situation, so that we can't let, so that we don't let the neocons use this as a justification for staying in there. We just limited, take care of these folks. Um, Kyle came on, and <laughs> to, in my defense, Kyle was really aggressive in uh, <laughs> him pointing out, you know, perhaps some of my short sightedness in this, um, and I, I mean, perhaps we got a little bit defensive, a little bit machismo back and forth. It's the nature of, of Twitter in many yeah, ways. Too. Yeah, it is the nature of Twitter. Um, I, and I don't want to make his points for him. I'll let Kyle Kyle make his points. But um, but ultimately, I think what I ultimately realized is that, um, one, the Taliban is going to do far worse to ISIS-K than we could probably visit on them. The Taliban has much lower moral standards in how they treat their enemies uh, then, well, at least the moral standards we're supposed to, you know, uh, uphold as uh, as as America. So I don't, you know, this it kind of uh, uh, I realized that this is more of a last act of desperation by these folks who are probably going to be very viciously and brutally uh, murdered by uh, by the new uh, rulers of Afghanistan. So justice will be served in that in that sense. Um, and two. Um, Kyle pointed out to me the ways that uh, a, a letters of mark and reprisal on top of the existing AUMF could really be abused in ways that um, could not be, you know, I, I did not immediately perceive. But I'll let Kyle, you know, make the, I'll let Kyle make those points rather than me trying to make his arguments for him. Sure. Yeah, Kyle, go ahead and just uh, why don't you just start off just explaining like your initial response. Like, what what was your thought when you first saw that that tweet from uh, Senator Brakey here, and and how you responded to it initially, and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I you weren't the first person, even in the libertarian movement, who I saw tweet something like this, which is you know why I probably came off a little bit frustrated to you because this is the first time in twenty years that we're about to not have troops in Afghanistan, and here are the libertarians saying that we should authorize like more action of some kind in that country. And it's just uh, you know I just felt like it was a complete wrong direction to go. And as people know, if you come in a little bit more hostile on Twitter, you're more likely to get some likes and retweets than if you're just like so. 
gender breaky. I disagree. It's a good policy decision. I think we should do this. So, yeah, I was a little bit frustrated and then, you know, played it up a little bit for the Twitter audience. But I mean, like my my first point was just, you know, we already have the authorization. The the U.S., whether we like it or not, uses the 2001 authorization for use of military force from every country to from Algeria to the Philippines. Afghanistan's right in the middle of that. So if we want to bomb somebody in there, we're going to have no problem doing that, especially if we could chalk it up to any kind of ISIS type group. So we, we just didn't need the authority. But when you give government like new authority to do things, they just don't sit on their hands. They're going to find something to do with it. So, I mean, that was my first concern. I, I guess like in the ideal world where you had like Congress actually sit down and debate a list of names of people who might be responsible for this and then find a way, um, you, you know, to have the list and then like put out international warrants and then these guys get picked up by different authorities and shipped over to the u.s and face trial i mean that would be one thing but that doesn't happen uh we have the example of guantanamo bay after 2001 the cia essentially did this they like dropped leaflets and told people in afghanistan pakistan across the middle east like hey if you get the people involved in this uh you know we'll give you bounties and rewards and stuff like that and what happened we put like almost a thousand people in guantanamo bay and tortured them and hundreds of them were completely innocent just you know had confessions by the uh, either pakistani intelligence or uh the northern alliance in Afghanistan tortured out of them. They shipped them off there, or they were like low-ranking Taliban foot soldiers. They weren't anybody that was like a terrorist. They were just the guy from the village defending his town, kind of thing. And so, I, I mean, that's one of the real problems with you know with this. Uh, the other thing was is this was never going to be debated in public by Congress, and I doubt they would have ever passed an actual list of names. What they likely would have done is they would have like had the intelligence community come in in a closed session and say whatever they were going to say to Congress. And, you know, Ron Paul has talked about how useless these things are, where they come in and just made stuff up. And that's why he wasn't wrong on the Iraq war. And every almost every other representative was is because he didn't go to these uh, useless uh, intelligence briefings and stuff like that. But um my guess is like, and two, they, they don't know everybody who was involved in this attack even now. And so what Congress would have to do is either pass a list that's just going to continue to evolve or give some kind of blanket authority that's it just going to be like an extension of the 2001 authorization for use of military force and just expand the terror war. And I mean, those, you know, were most of the issues with it. Uh, something that you had said that, you know, I, I got kind of frustrated with too, was saying that, you know, we were trying to get out of the country and we were attacked, but the U S Biden has said all along that we're not going to stop attacking ISIS K in Afghanistan. And so while our, you know, foot soldiers are leaving, our drones are still going to bomb this guy. He's being very clear. We are still at war with uh, the Islamic State Khorasan province. And as you uh, kind of alluded to, Eric, this isn't like an international terror group necessarily. They do carry out heinous, heinous attacks in Afghanistan, but they're mostly refugees from Pakistan. Uh, they were targeted by the Pakistani military in Obama's drone war, like from 2010 to 2012. They drove them over the border. And then they found out like 2013, 2014, it's pretty damn good marketing to call yourself uh, ISIS. It's, it's, you know, just, just jihadist marketing. That's how they get like funding and, and stuff like that. And so they picked up the black flag of ISIS, but I think they've also picked up some of the Islamic state cruelty to, uh, you know, 
help with that branding in the you know very disturbing way that that works. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, that was another issue is that, you, you know, if we authorize something, we're, we're kind of looking past the fact that we're continuing the terror war and this is a war going on. This isn't like, you know, the Taliban doing it where we are actually ending our war against them, at least, you know, in, in name, in theory. Well, you know what's more than a theory, gang? It is my love of CBD. CBD is a wonderful product extracted from the cannabis plant, but does not contain that THC that gets you high. It only contains some other amazing stuff. And I can't even tell you what, because I'm not really that technical about this stuff. I just know that I get my CBD products from our friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar over at PalomaVerdeCBD.com. That is Paloma Verde, not Verde, Brian McWilliams. Uh, but if you are a fan of CBD or if you've just been thinking about trying it out, I know they have so many, they have CBD in so many different varieties. You, My favorite are the gummies. The gummies are absolutely delicious, but you can get these tinctures, uh, these salves. Uh, there are so many different ways to consume CBD products, but if you've ever had sore muscles, sore joints, aches and pains, insomnia, stress, uh, does this stuff sound familiar to you guys? I'm sure everybody out there has at least experienced one or two of those things, and I can tell you, CBD helps with all of them. So head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Help our friends Carlos and Vanessa Abelar by supporting their small business. Help this podcast and help yourselves by using discount code ROAR at checkout. That will get you 25% off any order over $75 as well as free shipping. What a freaking deal. Again, head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use discount code ROAR at checkout. All right. So, uh, Walk me through how you guys, because what I'm, I mean, I'm half just interested in the conversation itself and the discussion about about foreign policy and how these things should be handled in maybe a libertarian sense or what have you. But I'm I'm maybe equally or more so fascinated by by more how you guys just ended up kind of coming together and having this discussion offline and and ending up coming to agreement before I could even get you here in the Lions of Liberty Octagon to duel this thing out. So um, who approached who? I'll let either of you start and kind of maybe help kind of you know play out how this conversation took place. Well, I, I can say I, at a certain point, I messaged Kyle. I might not have done so, to be honest, if I hadn't seen that Kyle was affiliated with institutions that I have incredible respect for like antiwar.com and the libertarian institute i might have just been you know stuck in my y'all stuck in my machismo and had dug my heels in and be like who's this who's this joe breaky that's what we call you even though i was the macho man on our on our art for our debate but that's a difference (laughs) i think they gave me pretty good muscles and uh uh shout out to gave you that's not what you really that's not how you really (laughs) you know it 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 was uh you know actual size you know say um (laughs) But um, yeah, no, I I I, res- I have tremendous respect for for the institutions that Kyle works for, so that gave him a certain degree of credibility to me to the point where I m- messaged him and I just said, hey, you know, away from like the public, just like you know, back and forth ar- argumentative nature of Twitter, uh, I, I just asked him if he would really kind of spell out kind of his his arguments and his points um, more clearly to me, you know, understanding first of all that I, I think we're coming from a, a sincerely coming from the same place of we want the wars to end. We, I mean, I just want America to stop being an empire so we can start being a republic again. And as Murray Rothbard said, war is the health of the state. I've grown up, you know, the, you know, I'm I'm 33 now, so the vast majority of my life. 
Uh, certainly my life since I kind of came of age of political awareness has been under the shadow of this war on terror. And it, it you know, as someone who initially kind of believed in all the war propaganda, became disillusioned by it. And now trying to end the wars is one of my most kind of passionate issues. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I started to think, well, it could be that I really am missing something. I try to recognize that Twitter for me is something that is, uh, maybe this is a dangerous way to treat Twitter in the, in the era that we're in, but uh, my Twitter, uh, my Twitter posts are a little bit of a stream of consciousness, things and ideas pop into my head and so I put things out there and I try to I try to keep the idea in the back of my my head that I could be wrong about things. And I'm open to people um, pointing out where I might be missing something. And so, Kyle, you're already right there, like like 10 steps ahead of I, I got to say most people in the libertarian movement, maybe most people in politics or most people in general. So many people seem to be so entrenched in their positions and their ideas before they even have a conversation with someone that there's often little conversation that can even be had. There's often, you know, little headway that can be made because once you're entrenched in a position and you've decided it's the truth and it's right, no matter what anyone says, then it's hard to really be open to that conversation. So I think it's just a great attitude that you have in general that even if I have a strongly held belief or a position I firmly hold, I'm willing to be proven wrong and I'm willing to listen to another argument. Honestly. Well, if, if, if Kyle had come at me and said that, like, Hey, the war. We gotta listen, neocon. <laughs> we gotta keep fighting these wars, and we gotta like. Uh, and you know, if he went after like my core convictions of you know liberty and all that, which Kyle would never do because we share those core convictions. I you know I, I believe we do. That might be something different. But if all he's doing is is critiquing and criticizing, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a tactic and strategy to try to achieve the outcome that we share. I try to be a little bit more open-minded, even if in the moment on Twitter, you know, we, we can all get a little defensive at times. All right. So um, what, how did this conversation kind of play out from there? Like what, and Kyle, maybe you can speak on this. Like what were the arguments that you first presented or, or Kyle, actually I'm, I'm curious, like what you thought when uh, Senator Brakey first reached out to you and, and kind of wanted to have this conversation uh, in a sort of more calm manner off the off the realm of Twitter. Was that is that something that happens very often on Twitter? I mean, I <laughs> no, think no, just like, I've never heard of this happening. I'm just so fascinated by it. No, I was really surprised that I got a message from him. And actually, like, uh, you know, I, I try to take a good bit of time and like lay out something like clear and concise, like, you know, as a Twitter DM. So I didn't want to write like a whole paper on it. But at the same time, I did want, you know, give a, a, a good response of what I thought. And he had like kind of told me at that time that he had already come around to my line thinking so i you know i just wanted to like lay it out make it very clear to him and i, I mean like i just have a ton of respect for air for that because I, I don't know how many other people have done that and you know it, it's especially important because you know you are the spokesperson for yow so you are a major voice in the movement and that you're willing to take the time and get things right means that our movement is going to get more things right so it's really important well i, I appreciate that kyle i will say it did help a little bit uh, i messaged you and then I also like sent the, the, the Twitter back and forth. I, I texted Scott Horton. And I said, Hey Scott, am I, am I getting something wrong here? Like, I know Kyle's like one of your guys. Like, <laughs> and if, 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 if he's telling me I'm wrong, then maybe I am missing something here. And, and Scott came back very matter of fact. So yeah, Kyle's right. You're wrong, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that sealed it. You're like, all right, now, now Scott Horton right, too. Right. Like, all right, what can I say? Um, um so anyway. what, what, what were some of the arguments that you heard from Kyle that, 
you know, first started to persuade you to think, all right, maybe the solution that I thought would be the the more, I don't know, liberty-oriented solution, um, the the less bad solution, and, and still finding some justice of some kind here, what was the first thing that you heard that made you think, okay, maybe maybe he's got a point. Maybe this isn't the way to go. You know, I think one of the, one of the uh, well, one of the big things was for me to realize that um, <laughs> the neocons are not nearly as powerful politically as they were before. And, you know, I was kind of, um, you know, <laughs> in some ways, I guess I have a little, you know, um, the neocons are not in a position to push us back to, to, to keep us in there. Like the troops are coming out. Uh, they, they are. Out. I mean, we still, well, we still got like a hundred Americans back there that that's an ongoing problem and potentially a, a hostage crisis in, in the making that hopefully everyone gets out safely. And that's a whole other thing. But, um, but, but, but I think I, un, I, I overestimated the ability of the neoconservatives to use this attack as a, a justification to keep us in there. Um, and they certainly tried, but they just, you know, they aren't, they aren't positioned like they were before. Um, but other things that, that kind of convinced me was really the, the point that Kyle made that, um, you know, look, Perhaps in a perfect world, if we could like say, hey, we're going to repeal the 2001 AUMF and pass letters of mark and reprisal at the same time to go after a very narrow list of individuals who we know beyond a, 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 you know, uh, a shadow of a doubt were responsible for this. I might still say, all right, that's a fair trade. But um, in all practicality, and Kyle made this point, that's probably not going to happen they're just going to try to they would if this was offered to them they would take it on top of all the authorization that they already have and one of my big issues i just wrote an op-ed about it is we need to we need to uh repeal the 2001 aumf so we can get this whole chapter of uh this terrible chapter of american history over and done with so the last thing i would want to do is give the warmongers more cover to wage more war when uh, what we need to be doing is repealing the 2001 AUMF. And um, I think a large part of this, you know, might be like, all right, in theory, this could be better, but in reality, we know it's how it's going to play out. But I'm just kind of curious how we would look at, you know, how maybe this might be a question for Kyle, like how are are there, is there, are there instances or a scenario you can imagine where if you didn't have an AUMF or if, if maybe the situation was a little more specific, um, like we actually knew exactly who did this thing. And maybe it was, maybe there was even an attack on us soil. I mean, it's kind of a totally different scenario, but if there was, was a situation of some kind where there was an attack by a group, we knew who the group were, Americans were harmed, maybe even within the country. And there was very little doubt who was responsible for this. Do you think that the, the concept of letters of Mark and reprisal, through the government is is there a way that could ever work even in a more ideal situation or do you think that like no matter what the, the incentives are so perverse that this would probably lead to more injustices regardless like like just like how we saw with guantanamo like where all these innocent people are getting scooped up because there's all these bounties out for in any information so people find the information so i'm just just kind of curious how you might see this playing out even like in a more ideal scenario like like um eric mentioned there 
Yeah, so actually, there I think a very good way to carry this out is just under U.S. law, terrorism is a crime. And there have been people that were arrested internationally, extradited to the United States, prosecuted in U.S. courts, and are now serving life sentences in U.S. prisons for crimes of terrorism. Uh, the 20th hijacker from 9-11, the guy that didn't make it on the plane, uh, one of the, uh, from the original uh, 9-11, not 9-11, uh, World Trade Center bombing in 93, one of those guys is in jail. So the, the, it it can work. We just choose not to use it. And that's kind of almost essentially what a market reprisal is. It's just an international arrest warrant. And it's like most ideal sense, right? That we're just going to say like, hey, this person is dangerous. We're authorizing somebody to get him. And it's kind of an international arrest warrant. Maybe there's a little bit more of a bounty hunter like sense to it, like a dead or alive thing. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's a crime. So just use the, the criminal system. But of course, that's also kind of living in a fantasy land where our intelligence community is actually concerned about arresting guilty terrorists rather than fabricating new plots to scare Americans with. And uh, Eric, did you, I mean, were you sold pretty quickly once he started laying out his case or was there like a little more back and forth here? Did you have to go back and think on it more or was it kind of like, you know, case closer, especially once you got the, the Scott Horton, uh, you know, really, really sealing it for you. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I'm not someone who just kind of changes my mind because, uh, you know, someone who I respect tells me I'm wrong, though. Scott Horton tells me I'm wrong. That's, that's something <laughs> that I one you're going to take a little more seriously, maybe. but, but I, but I, I sincerely need to like, I, I really try to understand kind of, you know, these issues from all angles. And I, you know, you know, the person I respect the most, my wife tells me all the time that I'm wrong on things. <laughs> just because That's I love before, and respect right? <laughs> her doesn't mean I just agree. It's like, all right, tell me why I'm wrong. I And I and I try to, in good faith, uh, especially when, you know, someone is coming to me in good faith with reasonable arguments, I try to consider that because I, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm human. I, we're all human. We are all prone to having blind spots and we're all trying to do the best that we can. I think what helps is, you know, when we can establish with people that we have a shared foundation in terms of our core beliefs and values, like we do in the liberty movement. I think this is what frankly frustrates me so much about the infighting in the liberty movement is that if we believe in these foundational principles of individual liberty, I mean, that's that's really in solid ground, common ground to stand on together. And that's significant. There are a lot of people out there who don't believe in that. <laughs> and we're always fighting with each other and we're not extending to each other in the liberty movement the benefit of the doubt in the, you know, uh, of good intentions that uh, I, I think we should extend to each other much, much more often. So um, I'm glad that we were able to have that conversation kind of offline where we're not kind of being judged by kind of Twitter mobs, you know, uh, for, you know, feeling like we've got to get entrenched, but we could recognize we're coming at this from a similar place with a similar vision for what we want to see, um, you know, as far as foreign policy. And the question is, what is the best tactics and strategy to get there? So, yeah, let's try to extend good faith to all other folks in the liberty movement. Uh, we're all trying to get to a similar place um, and achieve similar ends. And maybe we have different ideas on how to get there. And sometimes maybe someone has a better idea than you do. And it, we should listen to each other. Well, I think that's a, 
a great attitude overall because uh one thing that i i see and it's probably not unique to libertarians or the libertarian movement or anything like that i'm sure this is it's very much a human nature thing as well especially when you have firm beliefs about something uh you know it's it's somewhat natural to to try to defend them and you know and but i I think it's really important that we recognize that like you know none of us have absolute knowledge none of us have full comprehension of everything and there's even if you are right it can only serve to bolster you to listen to the other argument and come up with your own response and prove why you're right and lay out that case. That's just going to help you make the argument in other cases later. So even if you're absolutely right, there's every reason to have the conversation with someone, especially when you know they're acting in good faith, uh, as we as we know, you know, both of you guys are. Um, um, I have you guys here, though. I mean, I think we've I think we pretty much have, you know covered that that conversation and and and, how that how that went and everything but um i want to maybe just dive into a little more about your thoughts on afghanistan u.s foreign policy where where you see things going obviously and then more so than maybe what we want to happen i think what we all want is all the troops to come home from everywhere pretty much so uh but where do you actually see i mean i know kyle you mentioned that you know the war is still going to be going on there are still going to be drone strikes um where do you see this withdrawal going? And do you see, I'm curious specifically if you see any sort of maybe ulterior motive in the withdrawal, if there is some, some larger sort of a uh, global, uh, global chess chessboard per, um, you know, purpose to this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Biden administration has been very clear that part of this is their uh, pivot to Asia or their shift to focusing more on what they call great power competition. Uh, basically, they they think that, you know, the wars in the Middle East, the Americans are kind of tired of. And so rather than find these endless occupation nation buildings that all have some very bad stigma attached to them, they, they want to like build up nuclear power and missiles and everything else to like confront China and Russia. And so I, I definitely think that's a, a part of why we withdrew from Afghanistan. Um, other than that, like Biden just didn't, you know, have another option, really. Uh, the Taliban were on an offensive. They had taken a large portion of the country even before Trump had signed the deal with the Taliban. And then, you know, throughout the, the you know, 18 months after Trump signed the deal to when Biden left, they just took more and more territory. And so, it, you know, it was going to be a matter of costing a lot more American lives to try to stay in that country, to try to continue to prop up this government that's been an absolute failure um, or, you know, just to leave. And he made the, the second choice. Now, they have also been very clear that they are maintaining what they call over the horizon capabilities, where they're going to carry out like drone strikes or raids within Afghanistan. Um I'm not quite sure logistically how easy that's going to be to do, but they did say that they've carried out two strikes with that already. Uh, The first being the drone strike in a rural area of Afghanistan that the U.S. just claims killed two uh, members of the Islamic State uh, Khorasan province after uh, we uh, after the the attack on the airport. And then, of course, uh, a little bit more known, the drone strike in the Kabul airport, or not Kabul airport, but in Kabul, where they blew up an entire family, killed 10 people, including seven children. Uh, Rand Paul had a great exchange with uh, the Secretary of State and the Blinken in Congress over this yesterday when he asked uh, the, the Secretary of State if they knew yet if the person they killed was ISIS or not. And Blinken said, we're still investigating that. And of course, Rand Paul replied with, you think you know that before you uh deploy the bomb you know you don't know who you're bombing um 
which you know just to bring it back to what we were initially here for one of the reasons why i uh you know oppose also the market reprisal thing is our intelligence community has no ability to identify who's actually a terrorist threat especially in afghanistan uh there's a, a great interview of the scott horn show recently with this guy jack murphy where he talks about how in rural afghanistan they decided that anybody with like a walkie-talkie radio was potentially a terrorist and so Anybody that had one, they're just carrying out drone strikes against. Uh, Gareth Porter has done great reporting throughout the war about how they use like this link analysis stuff where they would go in, raid somebody's house who they thought was a Taliban, and then they would take his cell phone contacts and start to raid their houses. Well, of course, that works until you raid somebody's house who isn't a Taliban, and then you're just raiding a whole bunch of innocent people. You could have the milkman's number in there. I mean, right. That's exactly what happened. And they killed a whole bunch of innocent people that way. And so, uh, it's uh yeah that's just kind of how the war's gone and why i'm very concerned that this war is going to go on and while it's probably not going to be as active with thousands of airstrikes a year like we had under the trump administration uh i, I think it's going to be like dozens and uh probably just mostly innocent people dying like the drone program has always been that's what seems to be really concerning about um not just the situation in afghanistan but um how foreign policy and foreign actions have evolved overall whereas before all right if if you really pull troops out of somewhere okay they're gone the, the fighting has stopped i guess in, in some way even though there's probably special forces and contractors and all sorts of other stuff but now you can pull all the humans out you can pull every single human out and we can all cheer and and you know celebrate as kids hug their the troops that are coming home and maybe we have some great commercials about it meanwhile there's like tens of thousands of just robots flying around killing people so how do we how do we get this to stop i mean you could bring every troop home and this will continue going on and either of you can can take that if i could say one thing you know there's a there's a great piece in the new yorker and i bet you kyle's probably read this piece i know scott horton's been plugging it called the other afghan women and it's a long piece it's like i printed it out it's like 38 pages it's long but it's very worthwhile by a, a, a reporter who was on the ground in rural Afghanistan talking with Afghan women about kind of their experiences over the course of the, the American occupation and war. They call it the American war over there. We call it the Afghanistan war. They call it the American war. And it really, um, what kind of breaks your breaks my heart a little bit is in the depiction of the, you know, in the corporate press, of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, we see all the images of the people from the cities. And certainly, the people in the cities, the American occupation to some degree has benefited them. It's benefited women in the cities who get who, who get have had more access to, you know, you know, uh, basic human rights. Uh, but the cities are about 30 percent of the population of Afghanistan. The remainder of Afghanistan, 70% of Afghanistan lives in the countryside. And for the 70% of the country, it's been a reign of terror for the last 20 years. Families, like every family knows at least 12 family members that have been randomly killed in drone strikes or just shot dead or, or by U.S. allies. I mean, we partnered with some of the worst of the worst warlords uh, and propped them up over these people and they were just brutal it, it is it, it and it is it is infuriating that their stories never get told by the corporate press um so 
it's obviously, I, I think, you know, we should, I think, have sympathy and we should, you know, be concerned about those who live in the cities and what the Taliban, you know, living under the Taliban might mean for them. I, I hope, I, I, you know, and pray that the Taliban, when they say that they're going to be more cosmopolitan and more, you know, respectful of women's rights, I hope that those aren't just words. But in all honesty, they might just be just words and the Taliban is just as bad or nearly as bad as they were in the 1990s. But um, but for the the people in the rural Afghanistan, um, American occupation there was no improvement over the Soviets, no improvement over the of the Mujahideen. Um, we, we, we empowered the worst of the worst and, and, and it, I don't think I want to, you know, project the best of intentions on people. I mean, obviously there's the military industrial complex that doesn't give a shit about people's lives and is just, you know, in it for the money. But I know many people in our armed forces who genuinely, you know, went there thinking that they were, you know, with good intentions and wanting to help make this place better, but that's not what happened. Um, the worst of the worst got empowered. And I think it really is a factor of we had no idea what we were doing over there. We didn't know the culture. We didn't know the region. I mean, it, like, I, I think one of the most, you know, tragically poetic things about Afghanistan is when we call it the graveyard of empires, it's because it's literally the population of Afghanistan is populated by the descendants of the past empires who invaded and tried to control Afghanistan. You have so many different warring tribes and so many different cultures there. I, I frankly, I doubt that even the Taliban is going to be able to, 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 to maintain control over the region for, for long. The only thing that it seems to me that the only thing that united people under the Taliban was they all hated U.S. occupation, and without it, and and frankly, probably the best thing we could do if we don't want the Taliban to control the region is stop bombing the people there, stop having a presence there, and suddenly uh, the people, the Taliban isn't going to have a, a an enemy that they can point to that rallies all the people under their banner. I mean, yeah, because with with the situation now, when Maybe to Americans, you know, we watch the news and we say, oh, we pulled out of Afghanistan. But to Afghanis, if they're, if they're still being hit by drone strikes, if people still know, like like you said, like 12 family members each that have been killed or are in some way by by a drone strike of some kind, and this just continues to go on. I mean, it, it seems like it's just a matter of time. We're just continuing the same process of creating more of our own enemies, creating more people that are going to grow up. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine if I was seven years old and my entire family was killed by an American drone strike. I'm probably growing up my whole life thinking about how I'm going to avenge that or what, what, you know, how much does that shape my life? What kind of person does that turn me into um, when my whole family was taken away from me? And it, it seems like there's, even if the troops are home, there's been no stop to that process. And, and at some point, who knows, like, a terrorist maybe there is a terrorist attack maybe it's legitimate because someone you know someone a terrorist is created from all our actions they're in afghanistan and before long we're doing the same thing over again so you know uh, could, could i say real quick yeah. you know I, th I think it was very revealing there were a lot of articles before the pullout of the troops you know in in the in the new york times and other places where the cia is trying to figure out like they're, they're publicly saying well the problem with pulling all the troops out of afghanistan is it's going to make it really hard for us to continue the war in afghanistan <laughs> That's the point. That's it's like that's kind of the point. It's like, well, you know, we're going to have to fly our our our, pl our planes to drop bombs and do drone strikes like from much further away. It's going to be much more difficult. It's like, 
Well, how about we just stop bombing them? And I, it makes you really wish that as Americans, we could imagine what it would be like to grow up under those circumstances. I mean, you hear some of the accounts. I mean, the children who are traumatized, they, you know, whenever they hear a drone flying overhead, like this is, I mean, if we could only imagine what it was like to, I mean, imagine if, if, if China had flying death robots flying over America that could drop bombs on us at any given moment randomly. And, and you didn't, you, you didn't know it would be you know dangerous to go to the funeral of your loved ones who died in a drone strike. Cause you guys might get drone strike there be dangerous to go to a wedding. You might get drone strike. There is dangerous to just go out to the marketplace. You might get drone strike. I mean, the level dangerous of- to play with your friends with a, a walkie talkie. Yeah, I mean, geez, the, the 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 level of of I mean, even if you don't get killed, I mean, the level of fear that you must be under under a daily basis. I mean, how do you like how do you live under that? I I, I don't think that we can possibly imagine, and I hope that nothing like that ever does come to America. Yeah, I've you know regularly read of stories, particularly coming out of Yemen during the like high of the drone war. There, like families, particularly like the adult men, would like go and sleep in a hole in the ground outside. That way, hopefully, like the strike didn't hit their families, but also if you're in a hole, better chance that like would miss you. In Afghanistan, they talk about like if you're like like a day laborer or something like that, you and your buddies are all like at the water water cooler. You hear a drone overhead, everybody runs in a different direction because at least then you know maybe a couple of you might survive kind of thing in case they carry out a strike also particularly gatherings of males in in like the middle east and afghanistan are just you know interpreted as signs of possible insurgency or terrorist activity by u.s drone operators so i mean the conditioning that like these people are in where you know they're they're terrified to congregate and stuff like that ha- is incredible uh also you eric kind of talked about the kids uh there was a psychologist who was working in i think central Yemen. And this was probably like 10 years ago. And there's an article on in the Rolling Stones. And he said that there's like 90% of kids that he worked with or that in the village, like had PTSD. He said like at the sound of like a fan or the air conditioner, because it resembled the drone, the boys would become uh, incredibly like violent, you know, like how a young boy who like, you know, maybe grew up in an abusive situation will throw like violent tensor tantrums and like throwing things like that kind of level of like uh, emotional instability and uh, just striking fear into girls. I guess that's more how they react from PTSD at the young age. But, you know, this, this is like seriously damaging all these societies and genera- generationally too now. We're, you know, we're talking about this has been going on in Iraq for 30 years, Afghanistan for 20, uh, Yemen, we're going on about 20, Somalia on and off for 30 years. I, I'm just so long. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say something, Eric. Um, <laughs> just a green. <laughs> just to shift this conversation a little bit here, um, like uh, we talk about, like imagine what it would be like. You know, imagine growing up in one of these places. Imagine whenever you hear a drone overhead or something that sounds like it, you you know, you just freak out and think that you know, you might you, this might be the last moment of your life. Uh, and with a lot of the rhetoric that we've seen, particularly since the Biden administration came into power. One thing that I'm sure you both have noticed as well is that a lot of the rhetoric that used to be given to terrorists abroad or people that the U.S. government designates terrorists or what have you, that same rhetoric is now being used on the people of the United States. Uh, it's being used to infer and to dis- infer, refer to and to describe um, anybody that was a Trump supporter, uh, anybody that believes the election was was stolen or rigged in some way, anyone that opposes COVID measures. And 
if you told me a couple of years ago, even five years ago, that I would ever think that what would happen in the United States, even what's happened now, I would never think could have happened. So it just leads me to think, is the unthinkable possible here? Is it possible that we will really see something like this in the United States, that we real will actually see targeted drone strikes that that treat Americans in certain categories as terrorists in the same way that people in Afghanistan and other countries have been treated, treated over these years. You know, I, I remember it must've been maybe about a decade ago. Now, I think we all remember when Rand Paul did his filibuster on, 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 on this exact topic, you know, under the Obama administration, you know, did the Obama administration, I mean, they had drone striked an American citizen, overseas with Anwar al-Awlaki and then went back and drone striked his son, which, who was also an American citizen. Um, and beg the question, did the Obama administration and by extension, the broader executive branch, I mean, the Biden administration is kind of just a continuation of the Obama administration. Um, did they think that they had the, could, could, did they believe they had the authority to drone strike U.S. citizens on U.S. soil? And at the time, I mean, I thought it was important that he, he did that. But also in the back of my mind, I think we were all thinking in the back of our mind, yeah, but that that couldn't really happen here. They were, wouldn't really drop drones on U.S. soil on U.S. citizens. But now, I, I you know, you start to wonder. I mean, they're literally calling their fellow Americans like, you know, they're calling people in Texas like the Texas Taliban. They're talking about they're they're treating you know their fellow Americans left left wing the left wing establishment is is treating you know uh, uh, folks who do not consent to this 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 kind of growing re- regime they're, they're they're calling us directly terrorists and they're talking about employing the same kinds of tactics in a general sense on 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 folks here as they did abroad so. It, you know, and, and I oftentimes have to think, you know, those who are, you know, who have effectively pulled the triggers with these policies and are responsible for the mass murder of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people abroad, we like to think that there's this distinction that they would never do that to Americans. They must value American life more than they value the lives of Afghanistan people. But I'm not sure that that's true. You know, if if you're willing to kill millions of people abroad to achieve power for yourself and your regime, and you can get away with murdering people here at home to further that same pursuit, what 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 really stops them from doing it if they if they could get away with it? So um, I think the real question is not would they do it, but can they get away with it? And we need to make sure that they cannot. Well, you know what else we got to make sure of? That's right. It's another smooth transition coming, folks. We got to make sure that you folks are able to get the finest freaking Italian coffees around delivered directly to your door. And who will do that for us? You might be asking. Well, it is, of course, our good friends at Lorenzotti, Italy. Lorenzotti, Italy is the number one place for you to stop and order some fine premium Italian coffees delivered right to your door in these neat little tins. And if that wasn't enough, you get to do so knowing you are helping a sponsor of this program. And if that weren't enough, you get to order using your Lions of Liberty discount code. That discount code is ROAR, and it gets you 10% off your order. So head on over to Lorenzotti.coffee 
and use discount code ROAR for 10% off some Frine premium Italian coffees. Mm-mm-mm. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Well, I don't think there's any question that our politicians don't care about our lives any more than the Afghans. I just had Matthew Ho on my show, who was in 2009, the guy that blew the whistle and tried to stop the Obama surge in Afghanistan. And he's talking, telling me on the story how he's in a meeting with almost the full Democratic caucus at the time. This is at the beginning of the Obama administration when the Democrats have all the political capital. He gives a speech that rallies almost the entire caucus to be opposed to the surge that Obama is pushing. And he has congressmen, he says, coming up to him and and voicing their support. And Nancy Pelosi steps up and says, we can't do it because it'll hurt the president's agenda. And so Nancy Pelosi was willing to send thousands of American men to Afghanistan to die in a war that she knew was pointless in order to try to pass Obamacare. So, you know, it's just all about political agenda for them. They really don't care. And I I mean, I got to say, I'll agree with you, disagree with you a little bit, Eric. I was not all that like, you know, like, oh, I don't think they'll do it. I mean, he was. Pro, or he was filibustering the CIA nomination of John Brennan, right. who was right. uh, the little troll gremlin that Obama kept in the basement of his White House <laughs> that decided who Obama was going to kill every week in their Terror Tuesday meetings. They would have meetings, they called them Terror Tuesday and decided who they would, you know kill overseas. And of course, uh, we know from the leads of Daniel Hale now that 95% of the people killed in those strikes were the unintended targets. But uh, like last summer, especially around the George Floyd protests, you could look and see that they were using drones all over in Minneapolis and DC, all over the place of surveillance. Uh, I'm sure we remember the footage of them using like helicopters to uh, dust the protesters. You know, they're flying the helicopters 20, 30 feet above protesters. I mean, these are dangerous things to do. Uh, our police are well, well armed. When I was living in New Hampshire, I worked in a, a building where in the police parking garage underneath, they had the full armored Bearcat. This was Dover, New Hampshire, a town of like 20,000 people. It's like one of the nicest, most peaceful places I ever lived. There was an arson and it was like the town scandal for a whole year. Not that it wasn't a serious crime, but still like, do you really need a Bearcat if that's the most serious crime you got going on? And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're primed for this. It's uh, it, the, the Democrats are looking at it as a more progressive war on terror. These people are absolute war hogs. They, they love control. They love power. They, they love war. The only problem they have with the war on terror is that brown people are dying in it. But now they've created a new enemy for themselves and convinced themselves that, you know, the new enemy, uh, mainly they ident- identify them as like white men, domestic terrorists, gun owners, generally speaking. And they have completely dehumanized these people. I mean, you can see in a lot of the commentary on the COVID stuff where they want to deny people who haven't gotten the disease of at seeing medical care, talking about how the, those people are like walking biological terrorists. I mean, this is actual rhetoric being used uh, about Americans. And so I, I really don't think we're all that far away from it. And also one of the things that we're, I'm starting to see now, particularly, uh, you know, directed more, at, you know, the white class where than Muslims as it's been for the past 20 years is the FBI fabricating terror plots like we saw against uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, where the the first time that was reported, I said on my show, I bet that half of the people involved were government informants or FBI agents. And I was kind of saying that as a joke, but I think I actually might literally be right about that. Uh, At one point, the leader of the, the de facto leader of the group was an FBI informant. Uh, The FBI was instructing their informants to tell uh, the, the, 
the group members that other people who weren't informants were the informants. The FBI agent that was uh, implanted in it beat the so bad out of his wife that he actually got fired from the FBI. I mean, these are all terrible, terrible people involved, and they fabricated a terror plot just before the 2020 election. Remember, I don't want to say too much to get anybody in trouble with YouTube, but it's awful interesting that they fabricated a terror plot, and then Gretchen Whitmer suggested that that terror plot was encouraged by the uh, rhetoric of Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and to build on that, I mean, of course, there are similar questions about what happened on January 6th with all of these unidentified, unindicted co-conspirators. And there are questions of, you know, whether, you know, how involved were, you know, these, uh, how involved was the FBI in, in that? Were they involved to the same degree as they were in Michigan or not? The, the answer, may, maybe, maybe they weren't, but maybe they were. These questions aren't answered. But, but beyond that, uh, and and regardless of the guilt or innocence of the individuals who are in prison for this right now, these are American citizens who have been completely denied all due process uh, to, to date. I mean, here we are. It's 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 over half a year later and many have been in solitary confinement since then. They They, they haven't. They've been given no due process whatsoever. I, like I'm willing to concede that some of these individuals may have committed serious uh, a serious crime, and perhaps they should they they should be charged, and uh, they should be charged with that. Maybe they should be convicted for that, but they should have their they should have a day in court and not just be held in perpetuity indefinitely uh, in solitary confinement. Um, this is this is not. I mean, this is not how we're supposed to treat American citizens. I mean. It's like it's like American citizens are getting the Guantanamo treatment. We thought that Guantanamo was only for these uh, for foreigners overseas, many of whom, as Kyle pointed out, were completely and totally innocent. But we told ourselves that it was okay because it's just foreigners. Well, now it's happening to U.S. citizens, and it's not going to end with just people who were involved, uh, you know, in in January sixth. This is they're very explicit. This is how they want to treat the rest of. Uh, folks, and they've lumped, li- of course, they've lumped libertarians in. Anyone who questions, anyone who believes in the founding documents of our country now is a potential domestic terrorist. We are on a very, very dangerous road. Yeah, it makes me think of the um, the real big issue around the time I, w- I was starting to podcast around 2013 was this 2012 NDAA and the provision in there that allowed the government to basically ha- hold American citizens indefinitely were they suspected as terrorists. And I don't know if they're specifically using that provision in the case of the, the January 6th uh, stuff, but uh, they're certainly acting like it. They're certainly, you know, using it in, in reality either way. Um, so it does seem that uh, I'd love to wrap things up on a rosier note, but it does seem like in many ways, the war on terror is being turned inward. And um, I'm just thankful we have guys like you out there that are speaking about this stuff and that are able to, meet and uh, come to conclusions and, um, you know, find agreement where there seemed to be initial agreement. So I definitely thank you both for everything you guys do out there and for your ability to set this great example, I think, for others, libertarian or otherwise, to, you know, maybe take a minute when you have a little discussion with someone, when you have a disagreement, especially if there's someone that you know you probably do share a philosophy with or do have a lot in common with, you know, take the minute, reevaluate your position, reach out to them, maybe even have a, a... a conversation offline, maybe even not on a podcast. Much as I hate to say it, I think they should all happen on this podcast. But maybe even take a few minutes to to have a conversation, and you never know you might you might actually realize, oh, I was wrong, or or in Kyle's case, realize, oh yeah, I was right. I was right the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> to help us actually end on a rosier note, 
I would like to say, you know, if all of us in the liberty movement extended good faith to each other and we and we, you know, when we had disagreements, we were able to, you know, operate kind of on this, you know, understanding that, you know, we share these these core principles. If we can build a united liberty movement like we had in the Ron Paul days, then perhaps we may actually be a force capable of contesting with these evil forces that are aligned against us. But if we're divided and just fighting each other and thinking the worst of each other, if all we're doing is attacking and tearing down our fellow uh, liberty-minded friends, uh, then we are certainly not going to be uh, you know, a political force to be reckoned with that we need to be if we're going to save the country. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for for joining me today, for having this discussion. Before I let you guys go, I'll let you both uh, get all your plugs in. Uh, Breaky, we'll start with you so we can let Kyle uh, wrap this thing up since since, you you get all the you get all the shine here on this on these (laughs) on these podcasts with all your appearances here. I don't know how you worked your way in. Very politician. y sneaking your way. Uh, Every 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 time there's an argument on Twitter and this. All right. Where's Mark Claire? Let's uh, (laughs) let's let's settle this in the ring. At least I'm known for something. So if if it's if it's hosting debates, then fine, I'll take it. But uh, Anyway, folks can follow me on Twitter at Senator Brakey. Um, you can find me on Facebook, too. You know, Just look me up, Eric Brakey. I'm the senior spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty. You can also follow Young Americans for Liberty at YA Liberty. You can go to the uh, you can see what we're doing at our website, YALiberty.org. And we work to make liberty win. Kyle, go ahead and fire away on your plugs. Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Mark, for having me on, Eric, for, you know, being so cool about everything. And even though I came in a little bit hot, you were probably the cooler head in this thing uh, that allowed this conversation to actually happen in a productive way. So I do appreciate that. Uh, I am the uh, co-host of the Conflicts of Interest uh, podcast. Will Porter is my co-host. He's absolutely great. He's like a real ass newsman who comes on uh, most of our shows three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We just talk about news, mostly foreign policy. police state covid are main issues right now um i am putting out like a bonus series right now called villains of the afghan war trying to make a list of all the people who were evil and lied us into this thing and uh, have a, a list of names of people to be held accountable and i already got a few of those episodes out now uh, i'm the opinion editor at antiwar.com so if you read the viewpoints there that's what i'm working on uh, if you go to the libertarian institute i'm the news editor so you'll find my news roundup and my show there and uh, the show's up everywhere. You can listen to podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Kyle Anslone underscore. All right, Kyle, Eric, thanks again both so much and keep up that great work. Keep on. Thanks, roaring. Mark. Thank you both. Well, how about that? A Twitter argument was actually settled outside of the confines of the Lions of Liberty debate octagon. I couldn't believe it when I heard it, so I had to bring on these fine young gentlemen to explain the whole situation, and it turned out we had a great discussion about foreign policy as well. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget, you could have watched this live, you could have seen it live, you could have heard it before anybody else, if only you supported Lions of Liberty, either on Patreon at patreon.com slash Liberty, or for those of you who are not fans of Patreon, you can now support us on Locals at Lions of liberty.locals.com. Either way, you get access to all of the live streams that we do, including uh, many, 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 most of my episodes, really, I do stream live for our supporters. Uh, So again, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. 
com. You can contribute to the Help Us Podcast full-time fund. You can contribute to the Mark is Headed to Mexico fund. Uh, if you want to support us in these efforts, if you'd like us to see us putting more and more of ourselves into this podcast, into our efforts in the liberty movement, please do considering ch- contributing in one way or another. You can also contribute via a variety of cryptocurrencies uh, by checking out our donate page. You can find that right there at lionsofliberty.com. So many, many options to help us, and we will continue to be here bringing you the greatest Liberty Variety show on Earth with myself, of course, every single Monday on the flagship. Brian McWilliams, usually I subbed in for him, along with a couple of friends, Dan Smots of The System Is Down and our good lawyer, Rico, uh, last week on ELL, but I believe he has recovered and shall be back this week, uh, as well as, of course, John Odermatt wrapping things up on Thursdays with his journey into finding freedom. You get it all for the price of one, my friends. That price is free. That's right. Just smack the heck out of that subscribe button and roar with us three times a week. Until next time, my friends. Live long and live free.